The parallel economy has empowered us to care for our health, well-being, as well as longevity. Likewise, for us pet parents who now have a place to go when it comes to keeping the family dogs, cats, even horses in the best shape possible. As a dog dad, I'm thrilled to be working with Pet Club 24-7, a company founded by two guys who lost dogs to serious conditions, including cancer. Pet Club 24-7 has an incredible array of products, including a line of supplements for humans, such as the Inforce Plus Corollius Versicolor and Inforce Corollius Versicolor with Reishi. My friend and colleague, Christina Ferrari, a cancer survivor herself, swears by it. When I was diagnosed, the doctor in the emergency room told me, you have two years to live. Oh, boy. Along with the stem cell, I took these. I have been in remission for eight years now. For dogs, mush puppy treats are a fan favorite. Rex, you want to, oh, boy. Oh, he came right. Oh, there he is. They are also made with the Coriolis Versicolor Mushroom, which supports their immune system, according to hundreds of clinical studies. Here's Kristen Ludlow, National Vice President. That strain does matter. We do have the most potent strain, and we also extract it in a proprietary way. And that's why we've been having such wonderful experiences with these products. Mush puppies are made here in the U.S. There are no fillers. It's non-addicting. Your dog can't accidentally overdose. Go to drdrew.com slash petclub247 for a discount off the list price. That is drdrew.com. P-E-T-C-L-U-B-247, Pet Club 247. Welcome, everybody. Should be an interesting show today. Uh, Rami Ogender comes back. You know uh, Dr. Ogender. He's an anesthesiologist who has been working in and around uh, Dr. Patterson's world where they're working on long COVID and some of the hypotheses as to how that has happened. They're uh, on the verge of publishing several papers on this. And they've had a lot of experience now uh, treating long COVID and vaccine injury. So I thought it was time for an update from him. And to sort of um, bring this to life a little more, I asked a friend of mine to come in here, a, a gentleman I've known for many years, actually since college, who had a severe vaccine injury. And I just wanted you to hear his story. I've now seen many vaccine injuries and, of course, many cases of long COVID as well. So these are very vivid clinical experiences for me. And I think when you hear Howard's story, you'll come to understand how vivid this is for some people. So let's get right to it. Our laws, as it pertains to substances, are draconian and bizarre. The psychopaths start this way. He was an alcoholic. Because of social media and pornography, PTSD, love addiction, fentanyl and heroin, ridiculous I'm a, I'm a doctor for <laughs> sake. Where the hell you think I learned that? I'm just saying, you go to treatment before you kill people. I am a clinician. I observe things about these chemicals. Let's just deal with what's real. We used to get these calls on Loveline all the time. Educate adolescents and to prevent and to treat. If you have trouble, you can't stop and you want to help stop it, I can help. I got a lot to say. I got a lot more to say. You can spend thousands of dollars trying to look a few years younger, or you can skip all of that hassle and go with what works. Genucel Skincare. Genucel is the secret to better skin. In fact, you might have witnessed the astonishing effects of Genucel during a recent unplanned moment on our show, when just a little Genucel XV restored my skin within minutes right before your eyes. That's how fast these products work. I know I'm a snob about the products I use on my face. Everybody knows it. 
Every time I go to the dermatologist's office, they're just rows and rows of different creams. And then when I get to the counter, they're overpriced. All kinds of products that you can all find at GenuCell.com. Susan and I love GenuCell so much, we've created our own bundles so you can try our favorite anti-wrinkle treatments, correcting serums, and ultra-retinol creams. Just go to GenuCell.com Drew. Use the code Drew for an extra discount and free priority shipping. Again, that is genucel.com slash Drew, G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com slash D-R-E-W. And welcome, everybody. Again, as I'm sorry, I was saying, I'm excited to, to uh, get into today's show. Uh, let me bring back our friend, Dr. Ram Yogendra. Ram, welcome to the program. There we are. So give us a little update what you've been up to since we last talked to you. Yeah, so, you know, we're still doing, you know, collecting data, still studying the long COVID um, syndrome or the pathology behind it. Uh, we're at a point now where we uh, actually, this morning, um, we finalized our clinical trial design. It's a phase three 505B2 clinical trial. Um, when the next step is now submission to the FDA, where we will work with the FDA in I, I guess the simple way of doing it is sort of getting their input and feedback and quote unquote their blessing. Um, and we've already got. Can you tell sites. me what's in the trial? What you're what you're using to treat long COVID? Yeah, the trial is where we're looking at the CCR5 antagonist Maravrak uh, with uh, atorvastatin, oh. uh, which we've been uh-huh. really observing the clinical response about the past two years, and, and it's very interesting when we start talking about our understanding of long COVID in the past two plus years now has has evolved uh, with not only our research, but many other groups coming in. I think sort of the understanding is there is a, a vascular inflammation taking place and subsequently a multiple different factors are now taking place. So, and, and, and so it's not this magic, there's no one magic pill. There's no one, one right. explanation for the pathology of, of post-along COVID. And we really come to really understand that now. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is um, Dr. Ryan Cole, who's the pathologist that has been reporting on so many of the spike protein effects in pathology specimens. And uh, I told him, I said, look, you know, the way I've experienced this clinically, I think of it as an endotheliitis. And he said, that is exactly what we're seeing pathologically. And when you say it's a, you know, vascular inflammatory, I, I really do believe that it is, it is somehow injuring the integrity of the endothelium that in interaction with the macrophages and activation of cytokines, that, that's where you're getting this inflammatory process. Absolutely. And, 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 that, and those findings are now being corroborated and published by multiple groups uh, around the world. So I yeah. think there's, there's sort of a growing consensus. But what's interesting is, is sort of still what is causing the, the pathology, what is driving it. Is it the spike protein? Is it the monocytes? Is it the combination or quite frankly, something else that's taking place here. So I think we, we, we're sort right. of starting to get yeah. our, our minds around that and a good handle of who is going to respond to certain medications and who are not. And, and, this is, and you're treating long COVID from vaccine injury and from the virus itself, and probably from both. Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, so you know, we, we didn't, you know, we never set out to look at patients having vax issues. But one of the things is when we started looking into patients with post-COVID or long COVID, we started hearing from patients coming and saying, look, we got one of these COVID vaccines and we're having a, a persistent reaction. 
you know, we're told about a week or two is, is uh, you know, expected. But these are patients now experiencing three months, six months, and then subsequently yeah. two years now. They're, they've been suffering. Yeah. We're really starting to look into that. Yeah. Okay. So with that as the preamble, <clears throat> I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to have you step out for a second, and I'm going to bring in my friend Howard. He will just now be known as Howard. But I've known him for many years. He was an extremely active television and movie writer, producer, director, showrunner, and a uh, prolific novelist who some time ago uh, got a vaccine and uh, had such a nasty reaction. It upset me so much I stopped calling him because I felt responsible as a medical provider. But let's bring in Howard. Howard, thanks for coming in. Tell your story. Sure, Drew. First you ghost me and then you want me on your show. So... I know. Well, that's how that's how I work with all my friends now. If you if you're going to spend time with me, it's going to be on the streaming program. So, but, uh, it's good. To, it's good to look. So, it's good to see you smiling and laughing because when you first had this thing, you were not sounding that way. So yeah, no, and and now now you know that's my way of dealing with everything. Ultimately, is to find ways to laugh at it. I'm also I'm. I wasn't angry then. Now I'm angry. Actually, we can get to that later. You were the angry one. Interesting. Um, but so my yeah so so the the pre story here is that my neurotic way of dealing with the pandemic was to get into the very best shape of my life. Every single morning I walked for an hour and then in the afternoon I did 20 minutes of strength and then another hour on the stationary bike. And even you know even lost that 10 pounds that we all always want to lose. I mean I I just thought if this thing hits me because I have asthma not terrible but enough that you know, even if I had a cold, it would turn into an opera. And I just, you know, wanted to be in the best shape to fight this off. You know, I want to say a couple of things, because now I, I feel like I'm here with the pirates today. Um, so I, I sort of want to just um, put my, my, my own bona fides out there. I'm not an anti-vax person. I've never been. I, until now, when I can't, I got a flu shot every year. They were extremely beneficial to me. Uh, I'll, I'll even put out there: I voted for Joe Biden. I sent money to Joe Biden. I, you know, I'm, I'm. There's, there's nothing. Yeah. I'm even and, not anti-COVID vaccine. And Howard, you, you're, you're living, you're living in the digital world where it's impossible to make anybody happy. So, so That's I right. am, I am right. certainly I, I not anti-vax. I am still. I still continue to vaccinate my elderly patients. I continue to prescribe Paxlovid. And for that, most of the people that listen to this uh, podcast, this stream, cannot forgive me. <laughs> they, they, they're infuriated with me that I haven't forsaken this, you know, th in, and, I, and I've had a lot of experience with patients like you, and yet I still see the net benefit in the elderly patients. I'm less clear in a 30-year-old male where and myocarditis and other things kick in. I just want to get it right. And I think people have to understand the spectrum of what I think about when I worry about vaccine reactions. I worry about stuff like you. So keep, keep going. You're in good company. Okay. So, uh, you know, when the vaccine came out, I right away, as soon as we were able to get it, we got our first two doses of Moderna. The first one, all I had was a sore arm. Second one, I had one very, very bad day. Fever, chills. It knew every place in my body I'd ever had a problem. If I'd had a surgery, I'd had pains there. I had a badly sprained ankle like 15 years ago. All of a sudden, that was hurting. It was wild. And then the strangest thing was these, these powerful 
very brief headaches, like spikes through my head, like it was incredibly painful for a second or two. And then they'd go away with no after pain or anything. And then the next morning, I felt healthier than I ever did in my life. I went out for my walk. I said, this is great. I never had anything come on and go that quickly. So then they started telling us that they, they were wearing off quicker than they hoped and people should get boosted. And when, as soon as we were eligible for the boosters, I, you know, that one bad day did not, and this becomes important in the story later and how I've evolved on this a little bit, that one bad day didn't dissuade me at all from getting it again. The messaging all was very, very clear, and it's still out there now. Uh, if you have a bad short-term reaction, that's a good thing. That means it's working. That means it's creating antibodies. You know what? That's so I had I, forgotten that piece of the story, Howard. But now that you bring it up, I remember that vividly. That that we were saying that's your immune response. That is you getting this robust reaction, and now you need to do it again. Yeah, and that's still there, by the way. If you go on the CDC website, I mean, that's that's still the the messaging that's out there. So then I went, um, <laughs> probably whatever it was six eight months later that we were eligible to get the booster first week in December, went and did that as soon as we were able to. Uh, the pharmacist said, you know, whatever you had to the second, whatever your reaction to the second one was, that's probably what you're going to get this time. That seems to be what everybody has. So my wife, who only had a sore arm, only had a sore arm. I had the same one terrible day. Next morning, I go out for my walk. I get about two blocks in and go, something's not right here. It just wasn't the right energy in my legs. I just was feeling tired. And I walked about 15 minutes to the coffee shop where I often work. And I sort of rested there for an hour and then managed to get myself home. And then from there, it just sort of kept getting a little worse, a little worse. Uh, I, you know, the, the one thing that I, I, I usually forget to describe, you know, that feeling you get when you're about to get sick, or maybe you don't, you know, where you have that day where it's like, okay, double up on vitamin C or whatever you do, because you just feel generally discomfort, yeah. you know, discomfort, not, not, I felt that. And by the way, I felt that every second of every day for six months. And that was one of the first things. And then incredible fatigue right away. I'm taking two, three naps a day. And then this weakness in my legs, um, walking and then cognitive issues and, and, uh, you know, brain fog as people talk about trouble retrieving words as it got worse, that was really awful because I obviously from, you know, as, as, as you introduced what I do, I make my living with my mind. That's that's my work all day as a writer. I couldn't do any of that. Uh, at at the worst, one of the worst moments I remember was opening my bank statement and staring at it for minutes, trying to remember what I'm supposed to do with it. I mean, it was you know <laughs> that level of 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 non-function, and that that continued for a while. So now I went into um, sort of five weeks as a medical mystery. Because every doctor, starting with my GP, who I think is an excellent doctor and still do, uh, none of them had heard about anything like this happening. He had heard about, you know, people having effects for a week or so, you know, and he said, I guarantee you in a week, you know, you had it on Thursday, a week from the following Monday, you're going to be fine. And then I wasn't. So then he started running tests. And the one thing from the vaccine that, of course, they thought maybe it was, was myocarditis, did an echocardiogram ruled that out. He was sure this had nothing to do with the vaccine um, and that it was just a coincidence of timing. Finally sent me to a pulmonologist out of some concern um, 
you know, just wanting to rule out that I had a blood clot in my lung or something terrible like that. Went to the pulmonologist. He ran a bunch of tests, comes back in the room and says, you don't have any of those things that your doctor's concerned about, but you are sick. And I said, what is it? And he said, very matter of factly. And I wonder, I should preface too by saying, um, this is, was the head of pulmonology and intensive care at, at sort of the top hospital in our area. So my doctor sent me to him saying, if it does have anything to do with COVID, this is the guy you'd want to see because he's, he's the one who would know. He looks at me very matter of factly and says, it's vaccine induced long haul COVID. To which my reaction was, that's a thing. Everyone's telling me that's not a thing. Right. And he says, yeah, he said, I've seen three or four cases already. He said, you're the first one I've seen uh, get it from the booster who did okay, got through the first two shots, but then had it come from the booster. Uh, and he said, it's going to be a long time that you're sick. I mean, he was, he was sort of very, he was more grave than I think I was so relieved not to have a blood clot in my lung that I, I sort of figured this isn't going to be so bad. He said, you're going to be sick for six to 12 months and, and maybe well more than that. He said, I have patients with the traditional long haul who are, you know, who are well past a year and getting desperate. Um, he said, uh, but, but you will get better slowly. He said, there's nothing I can do for you for any of these symptoms except the shortness of breath. So I'd been getting chest pains and, and more and more difficult. That was the scariest part, right? Is that I was, I was, you know, at, at the first week, it was like if I walked 20 yards, it felt like I'd sprinted 20 yards. Then it was like that just from sitting and having a conversation like this. Then it was just sitting watching TV and it was getting worse and worse. And he said, I can help you with that, um, but I'd have to hospitalize you. So, you know, keep my number. And I didn't ask him any follow up on what, what that would mean. Um, but then it was into the game of, okay, how much worse do I let this get before I'm an idiot not to go into the hospital? Which, of course, this was still enough in COVID times. Nobody wanted to be in a hospital who didn't need to be there. And he said, do whatever you can to avoid getting COVID on top of this, right? And uh, yep. I, mean, I think that's it for that. And then, so then it was, it, it, oh, oh, I know, prednisone. That was the first thing. So one of my other doctors, very smart, had said, this sounds like whatever this is, is some sort of inflammatory response and that maybe a course of prednisone would help. So, you know, he, he agreed it was worth a try. He said, I don't expect it to help. For two weeks through the prednisone, it kept getting worse. And then a few days after the prednisone, fortunately, blessedly, that shortness of breath just lifted and has never come back. Mm. That's the one symptom that just went mm. away clean, which may or may not have had to do with the prednisone. They, they, they weren't uh, fine to say. So then, you know, I, I saw different doctors. There were, there were, I was frustrated with that. I have to say there were some who just rejected the notion that this was what it was, you know? And when I would tell them the doctor's name who, you know, then they sort of softened on that a little bit, but you know, there, there, there was not, there was just, they just seemed like a general disbelief among friends. And, and, you know, and, and, and as, as you've sort of suggested a little bit in, or maybe you didn't, in, in, in the business we're in, it's sort of a political monoculture, you know, and, and, and the good people all knew that you don't have a problem with the vaccines, that they're all perfectly good. And the only people who are raising issues with them are, are sort of suspect. So, you know, I was kind of an inconvenient and, and dubious character in, in my illness, I think, except for people who were really very close mm -hmm. to me. 
And I just sort of worked yep. my way back on my own. I tried, you know, I tried a number of different things. You, you suggested um, fluvoxamine, which I think helped you maybe early, and that didn't do it anything. Help me, help me with few, long haul. Yeah. A, a few things. The one, it wasn't until eight or 10 months in that I tried uh, a small dose of Ritalin every morning. And that made a huge difference with the cognitive problem. But, but the rest, I just sort of built my own way back. I would do that when they told me it was safe to exercise as long as I don't push it. I would do that five minute shuffle to the corner and back. Then when that got comfortable enough, I'd add a second one a day, then a third one. Then I'd add a minute to one or another of them until, and then started consolidating until I finally got to where I could walk a slow hour uh, at a time. And then I started adding some strength work again. And the bike, the bike was a killer. I did, because I should say too, I, I started finding online communities of people because I, I thought, you know, the doctors don't seem to know anything out here. But um, Science Magazine, a week after that diagnosis, exactly a week, came out with an article talking about this, this phenomenon that some people were having long haul symptoms from the vaccine. And that was the first time where I saw, oh, here are a couple of researchers' names, here are, you know, some vaccine injured people and groups to start following. And uh, so, so that is a way that I sort of kept tabs on everything myself and, you know, saw that there were a lot of different things that would work for some small number of people, but other people would say, I've tried that and that didn't do anything for me. Uh, and I, I, uh, one, one thing that they often said, though, was that people sort of caused a relapse by over-exercising. And so I was very careful. So when I started doing the stationary bike, literally, I did one minute. And then I did the next day, did one minute. And then the next day, upped it to two minutes. And I thought I was going to die. So I stayed at two minutes for like a week or two till I could do that. And then added to three minutes. And over the course of all of this, at 15 months, I got up to where I could do an hour on the bike, too. So with all of the, my, my sort of slow self-designed recovery and with the help of the Ritalin, I was able at about eight months to start writing. I'd say at, at 11 or 12 months, I got to where I was describing myself as 80 to 90% recovered. But then I mm. plateaued there for mm. a few months. So that was a little frustrating. It was like the good news was I could have some semblance of my life as I was experiencing it in the before times. But... I wasn't quite getting there and I didn't know when or ever. And then at 15 months exactly, I had to have a, a very small unrelated surgical procedure where they put me out, you know, for 15 minutes with propofol and that knocked me back to square one. So literally on mm. Monday, I did 60 minutes on the stationary bike. Tuesday, I had the surgery. On Thursday, I could barely shuffle to the corner and back again. Did, did you need and any that, kind of prep for that surgery? Could it have been the prep that somehow affected you? Because I don't understand how propofol would have done that. Did, no. There was no prep or anything. Okay. No, there you go. no. The other thing which did something like that in a much smaller version was at six months, I had half a glass of wine. And that felt the next day like I'd been knocked backwards about two months. And it took me about three weeks. So interesting. So I, there's something about alcohol in this whole thing too. I, I noticed when I had long hauler and I had a very strange pulling empty feeling, like I was something pulling me down. Did you have anything like that? Like an empty feeling inside? It's a very odd feeling. Well, that was me. And, and the alcohol would make, one glass of wine would make that go away. 
and two glasses of wine would destroy me, much like you're describing. <laughs> very weird. Very, yeah. very weird. So it, okay. I, I will say, and then you had a little setback, it, I, right? Yeah. Also, so that, that's what I'm saying. Setback? I had that. I had that. Well, that was the setback. It not really. That was three months ago. Knocked me to square one. And again, like I say, this is the kind of thing where I, I, I really feel very fortunate that we have the kind of online community like Reddit. Let me throw this out there. The, the Reddit group called, I think it's called Vaccine Long Haulers, is quarantined. There's no reason this should be, if anyone's listening from Reddit, please take that out of quarantine. This is a real thing. You don't have to pretend like this was two years ago and people are, so, but, but in that group, I, that's a great place where you can say, I just had this happen. Has anybody had any experience with this? You know, and, and one of the people who uh, said yes and, and directed me to some study that, that there are some people who've developed um, through this, um, uh, through, and th through long haul, intolerances to alcohol and or caffeine and or uh, anesthesia. Interesting? Fortunately, caffeine I'm okay so, with. Drinking a little ice okay, tea. Fortunately. Are you, still, are you still on the Ritalin or do you stop that too? Yes, yes. And fortunately, that Ritalin made the cognitive setback much less so that has only felt like yeah. i got knocked back about six months instead of 15. so so interesting and have you messed around with the dose of the ritalin no i don't i i, I don't love being on it you know and i i chose that yeah. over adderall because when i read a little bit it goes into and out of your system quicker and i thought this would be a little milder and i yeah. you know i i this makes you a little anxious too. I have to say, this has been anxiety. Sure. Increased well, anxiety sure. has been an, yeah. an issue with of this. Of course, of course. That, that's it's a stimulant. You know, that's how that works. But then you add your caffeine in there, and you get a nice no, big I, I mean, attack. No, I mean, but but I don't mean the I don't but, mean the anxiety from the Ritalin. I mean the anxiety from the from the the long haul. So I oh, that, that was my concern was that I'm, I I didn't really love adding stimulant on top of. I see. You know, got it. Got it. Yeah. So here's what I want to do. I want to take a, a little break. Then I'm going to bring Dr. Yogender in here to discuss your case like you're not here. And then he may have some follow-on questions for you. And we're going to get to take calls off of Twitter spaces uh, to, for everyone to interact on this topic. But before we go to break, how insane is it that, we, that this conversation has to be the least bit uh, quarantined, to use the word? It's just insane to me. Yeah. Yeah, it it really is. But 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 you know, I, like I say, I've I've gotten a little bit angry about all this too. Should we talk about that? You want to talk about that later? Or tell me, no, tell me what you're angry your about. Your show, because well, that'll get that'll get people please. calling in. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> so one thing I should say, there are very few physical manifestations of this you can measure. I have these. Um, yeah. rings under my eyes. I saw a photo of myself a month before and a month after the vaccine, and I looked like I'd aged five years. This all went more white. The one thing in all of my blood work, and I've done extensive blood work, is that my antibodies, I always have them do an antibody test to see, you know, if this, it's still off the charts. They measure it in, mm -hmm. I, I think they measure it in units per milliliter, and they'll give you a number up mm -hmm. to 2,500. But if it's over that, they just say over 2,500. After 15 right, months, right. I was still there, which takes me back to that thing about, you know, the, the messaging about if you're having a bad reaction, right? This is a good thing because it's your body creating antibodies. Well, if we didn't have mm -hmm. a situation like we have where everybody had their foot on the gas the way they did, for, for the vaccine. And this is, we'll get in a second to what I'm angry about. You go, you know, maybe somebody would have said, 
hey, maybe a better messaging is if you had a bad reaction before you get a booster, are you in an at-risk group? Or do you want to go get an antibody test to see if they're actually low and if you need more? Because Howard, I think I went in and, and got the third dose and overdosed. But, but physicians were not allowed to use their judgment or do their job. This is, of course, what I'm talking about, is that I'm trying to an analyze risk-reward for every age group and every situation clinically with this thing that is not... Yeah, it's, it's mostly effective and it's mostly safe, but not ex exclusively so. And my job is to get that risk-reward right. And if you're not allowed to think it through, you're going to hurt people. And so absolutely, I'm furious about this. And that's on the, that's on the physician side. On the just general public side, two, two, two things I want to point out. One that really started me down this path of wanting to go back and read more and read what was happening at the time was Matt Taibbi's discoveries in the Twitter files about this virality mm -hmm. project and the idea that the CDC mm -hmm. and Stanford University came up with a group that would do all they could to tamp down any information on media or social media that might contribute to vaccine hesitancy, whether true or not. I saw that right. as I'm sitting there sick with this relapse and my head starts exploding. Because I'll tell you one more thing, yes. which is that if you go on the CDC website now, and ask if the vaccine is safe. They tell you it's safe, that in rare cases, there are four side effects, so four serious things that can happen. It's the, the clotting thing that you had. It's the, um, mm -hmm. it's the myocarditis. It's Guillain-Barre. And I think the fourth is anaphylaxis. And they don't mention what I got. You know, I'm a year right. and a half into being sick. I don't know what the hell, you know, having another surgery, having a colonoscopy is going to mean the trade-off is I can't walk again the next day, you know, not walk again ever, but that, you know, this is, this has made my life much smaller. It's, we don't know for sure that I'm, you know, I know I'm going to get better, but as my doctors confirm when I ask, I said, do we know that I'll ever get all the way well? And we don't know that. And we know that it's already hampering some of my other medical, you know, um, preventative care that I normally would be doing. Yeah, I think. Yeah. This be, and, and Howard, I I, you need. We need serious. to bring. We need to bring you. We need to bring you over to this stream and our podcast, and because I've been interviewing all the people that they silenced because they all I've had something listening. to offer to help fill. Okay, good to fill out the yeah. fill out our understanding of what was going on here that none of us were allowed to bear witness to or even talk, even think about, let alone talk about. So it, it's a disgusting period of history. I mean, you your writer brain kicked in and called it COVID times. I'm reminding of love in the time of cholera. This is a, this is a, you know what, long hauler in the time of COVID or something. I, I, this is this is something for you to write about one day. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. I'll come All right. Back. <laughs> so so there's some positive. Some positive will come out of this. Um, but uh, I will take a little break here, and when we come back, it'll be Dr. Yogendra and I, and then we'll bring Howard back in and your call. So stay with us. Be right back. A lot of you have been asking for more information about how to counter the adverse effects of the spike protein from COVID infections and the COVID vaccine. The spike protein is not your friend. Let's just say that. So I'm glad we have the wellness company Spike Support Formula as a sponsor, especially since renowned internist and cardiologist Dr. Peter McCullough 
who's also chief scientific officer of the wellness company, is one of its champions. There's some very intriguing research around natokinase, which might be a way to take on the spike protein. Listen to this. So start, if you would, with talking about natokinase, how you got to that and where you see its application. So with the viral infection or the vaccines, the spike protein stays within the body and it's found in the heart, the brain, the vital organs, and it's causing problems. The Japanese have been using this for heart and vascular disease now for 20 years. It's safe. It is a form of a mild blood thinner that it dissolves the spike protein nearly completely. Spike support formula is the only product on the market containing natokinase, dandelion root, and a host of other antioxidants all showing promise in helping you protect yourself and your family. To order this unique, specially formulated supplement, go to drdrew.com slash TWC. That is drdrew.com slash TWC. Use code DREW at checkout for 10% off today. I recently discovered Paleo Valley. They have a line of products that align perfectly with a paleo dietary regimen. Goodbye to the limited rotation of eggs, burgers, and the standard fare. Hello to a wide variety of extraordinary products that are both healthful and delicious. Paleo Valley offers a spectacular range of options, including 100% grass-fed beef sticks. They're packed with nutrients like omega-3 fatty acids, vitamins, minerals, glutathione, CLA, and bioavailable protein. Plus, keto-friendly, make for a great protein-rich snack on the go. Paleo Valley's tasty beef sticks are not just 100% grass-fed, but also grass-finished, sourced from small domestic farms in the U.S. and flavored with real organic spices. They're also fermented, which means they contain natural probiotics that are great for gut health and they taste amazing. Try them out by heading over to drdrew.com slash paleovalley to get 15% off your first order today. Don't miss out on this opportunity to discover a brand that is perfect for your paleo lifestyle. President Trump recently issued a warning from his Mar-a-Lago home, quote, our currency is crashing and will soon no longer be the world standard which will be our greatest defeat, frankly, in 200 years. There are three reasons the central banks are dumping the U.S. dollar, inflation, deficit spending, and our insurmountable national debt. The fact is, there is one asset that has withstood famine, wars, political and economic upheaval dating back to biblical times, gold. And you can own it in a tax-sheltered retirement account with the help of Birch Gold. That's right, Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k maybe from a previous employer, into an IRA in gold. And the best part, you don't pay a penny out of pocket. Just visit birchgold.com drew for your free info kit. They'll hold your hand through the entire process. Think about this. When currencies fail, gold is a safe haven. How much more time does the dollar have? Birch Gold has an A-plus rating with Better Business Bureau and thousands of happy customers. I do not give financial advice, and previous performance is no guarantee of future performance. Visit birchgold.com slash drew to get your free info kit on gold. That is B-I-R-C-H-G-O-L-D dot com slash D-R-E-W. Welcome back, everybody. So I'm going to bring in Dr. Yogender here. We're going to have a conversation about what we just heard, our, our little case, and then we'll get to your calls. Uh, I see your hands up over there, so I will get to you guys. So uh, Dr. Gender, was that uh, similar to what you've been hearing out there, both from the long haul side from the virus and from the vaccine? Yeah, that's very common. I, I think it was very interesting that what Howard said was what's on the CDC website, sort of the common or expected reactions, the Guillain-Barre, the myocarditis, mm -hmm. clotting, um, mm -hmm. what was the other one? I think there were four things. Um, we are actually, we're seeing, see most of those patients that are going to experience that, they're more acute. They're going to end up in the emergency room, uh, going to the, mm -hmm. the doctor or the hospital, right? And 
And and a lot of times they're going to be immediately treated. We are getting the patients that are three months post-vaccine, six months post-vaccine, 12 months. So we haven't seen any cases of myocarditis. So we've seen them, you know, they they had a previous episode, post-vaccine induced myocarditis. Uh, but we're not treating the myocarditis. We're not treating the Guillain-Barre or any of these, the, the common, the vaccine uh, side effects that they expect. on the website. We're seeing, yeah. exactly, we're seeing exactly yeah, what they, 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 they are not. They are not including reactions that ruin people's lives and are disabling. You know what's interesting? You know, when I listen to Howard talk about both his initial reaction to the first couple of vaccines and then the, the more longer term thing, as somebody who also had long-term, long-term COVID, a, a long-haul kind of thing, I, I, I can relate very strongly to what he said about not being 100%. I still, and so I'm think I still have a little bit of that. Like, like when I exercise vigorously, I kind of lose it in ways that I, I, I thought maybe I'm getting older or something. But I, I just very much like what Howard's talking about. To, just a couple of days ago, I experienced it. I went out and trained my ass off, able to do the training, next day destroyed. And that's not normal for me. That that's kind of weird, and so and it's kind of been like that since I had long collar, like whatever it was, two and a half years ago, three years ago, and so it makes me think that this endothelial inflammation causes a diffuse injury, a, a, almost like a subclinical diffuse injury to essentially everything, especially brain, and so I and I brain takes a long time to heal, right? And so I'm wondering if that's a way to think about this, or or am I off base here? I think you're absolutely right. I mean, our hypothesis has always been the endotheliolitis slash vascular inflammation. What we found was the the spike protein from both the post-COVID patients and the vaccine patients. Um, you know, the, the the papers that were published previously uh, by our group headed by Dr. Patterson. Um, we by finding that we we found them in the monocytes and the monocytes act as almost like this Trojan horse that or garbage truck that is able to cross the blood. It's known in the literature that specific type of monocyte crosses the blood-brain barrier and has this very strong affinity to blood vessels. Um, so what we're finding is some patients having the the spike proteins in the monocytes and or abnormal elevations of those vascular monocytes. So consistently. Mm. In the in the mm. post COVID the vaccine groups and interestingly we're seeing that now with you know some of the you know I guess this much more it's it's a bigger question of what exactly is the pathogenesis behind both long COVID and post vaccine. See here we, we're talking about symptoms yeah. here, right? And yeah. we all know yeah. that symptoms don't necessarily. I mean, multiple etiologies and, and pathophysiological explanations can explain these same same symptoms. And there's right now no quote unquote approved diagnostic test that someone can say, I have post COVID, I have post vaccine, I have MECFS. And I think that is sort of that's the other other piece of the puzzle here. And I think the much bigger issue here, and and you know, our group is working very closely with some top government officials. Obviously I'm not privy to disclose who they are, but what we are hearing from Washington and in the government is that there is a big concern that because there is no quote unquote diagnostic test or approved diagnostic test for any of these syndromes or, or situations that there's a, a deep concern about disability. So someone that has post COVID or post vaccine issues, um, 
it you know the, the, to to uh, quote the almost the, not verbatim but uh, to paraphrase a, um, a high level government official, what they told us was any fat smoker in the United States that has COVID or received the vaccine can come out and start saying they have disability, and that's the major concern here. So hearing that was was really an eye opening. Um, maybe why there's potentially you know, there's, there's a like hesitancy about exploring the vaccine issue, really even the long COVID stuff. We haven't really made a lot of progress. I mean, as a, as a giant medical scientific community. Yeah. So, so I am very sympathetic to the over utilization of disabilities of various type, nowhere more so than California where it's out of control. However, to draw the line here is disgusting and a bias. And frankly, it's, it's a discriminatory. It's actively discriminatory. So somebody like my friend Howard can't even step up and go, Hey, you know, I can't write the way I used to. It just, you're not allowed to say anything. That is disgusting. And the government take document what they're saying because it might have historical significance one day i mean we're as as howard mentioned we're finding out one thing after another about how i i don't have a strong enough word for it i'm using word like biased and discriminatory because that's exactly what it is but that's not even strong enough in my opinion it's it's, it's ignorant it's an ignorance and it's a willful ignorance and it's an willful ignorance which is the opposite of scientific science requires open-mindedness to objective truth and this is willful ignorance, and it just disgusts me. And it's so much a part of what we've been going through for the last three years. Let's bring Howard back in, if you don't mind. Uh, Howard, I just want to give you a chance to follow on with Dr. what Dr. Yogendra said, and if you have any questions for him. And then, if not, what, or if so, either way, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to calls here on our Twitter spaces. And if any of us have a response to the caller, because there's multiple voices here and delays and things, I'll ask you just to kind of raise a finger if you want me to call on you. But Howard, your any response to Dr. Yogendra's comments? No, it was interesting to hear. But bring on the callers. Okay. Well, they the callers Drew, are reacting. Drew, I, actually, I, this is uh, yeah. Go ahead, Drew. Go ahead. I, I just want to mention so just just to follow up what you had said, and it's really what the the first thing that Howard mentioned. He said he talked about his political affiliation. He then went on with a disclaimer that he's pro-vaccine. We are, I I can't remember ever, we, when we're talking about medicine and science and and we're just having, trying to have an open discussion that people start talking about. And, and I mean, Howard, I completely get what you're, what you're saying, but I'm saying we're living this time. Yeah, we understand it. I I I gave a disclaimer right after his, yo, yo, I just, I gave a disclaimer right after his about my position, which is the insanity of what's going on right now. I, I was speaking to a very close friend um, who's, who's a well-known actor today a, a couple hours ago, and I told him what I was doing today. And he goes, oh, are you going to be public enemy number one? That was the first question. All I did was I said I was coming on this show to talk about what happened. That was, that was the words I said. I'm going on Dr. Drew's show to talk about what happened. Are you going to be public enemy? I, anybody that would judge Howard for sharing his clinical experience should check themselves. Really think about what you're doing. You're taking somebody that's had a reaction. I And I'm here saying it's probably uncommon or maybe rare, but I need to know the sure. numbers so I can make that adjustment in my deployment of the vaccine. And by the way, yo, uh, Ram, I have not seen any of this sort of vaccine injury in anybody over the age, definitely not over the age of 75. Has that been your experience also? 
I have to look at the cohort, but I would I would say so. It's it's almost it's almost it has similarities to the long COVID um, the, the demographics. Yeah. Mostly, I would say between twenty and sixty skews more towards women than men. Seventy thirty percent, which is interestingly enough, kind mm-hmm. of also correlates with some of uh, I think some of the documents that Pfizer has released in terms of some of the adverse events from their clinical trial. Uh, kind of our numbers really line up with that. It affects more middle-aged women than men. But again, those numbers could be skewed because men typically don't like to talk about, you know, when they have chronic illnesses. So I think maybe there's some bias in that too. Lindsay, go ahead and unmute your mic there on the lower left-hand corner. Lindsay's a nurse. She has something to tell us. She was uh, responding with 100% on some of the thing that we've all been saying here. (laughs) So Lindsay, what's up? Hey, Dr. Drew. Hey, Dr. Yo. I'm actually um, a patient of Dr. Bream, so he saved my life. I'm a vaccine-injured nurse. Um, it, I've never had COVID. It activated six out of 14 of my cytokines and all three of my monocytes. So he's been nursing me back to health for a year now. He saved my life, and i um, just grateful for what you guys are doing. What, what specifically, Lindsay, was the treatment? Were you Maraviraq also, or what kinds of things? So I'm on Maraviroc and a Torvastatin, and I'm also on Propanolol because okay. I have POTS yeah. um, and dysautonomia. Okay. And I also see Dr. Um, Corey, so I bridged the two treatments together. So I'm on Ivermectin, low-dose naltrexone, a um, bunch of vitamins, minerals, and supplements. So it's been interesting. I'm about 50 to 60% functional now. Whereas when I first mm-hmm. saw Dr. Bream, I was about negative 5% over close to dead. And um, he's really brought me back. But I still have tremors. I still have POTS. I have mast cell mm. activation syndrome and a whole list of other Crazy. things. Yeah. Well, thanks, Lindsay, for sh- sharing the story. And uh, I should mention, uh, uh, Howard, Su- Susan has already ordered natokinase for you. She's uh, she <laughs> She is a spike protein a theorist. And so uh, she's going to insist you get on that and see if that helps. Um, so let's keep going with the callers. Anything you want to add to that, uh, Rom? Uh, no, we, we've got an amazing team. I'm glad that, that Lindsay, you're, you're feeling better. Good. Uh, here's a physician. Let's uh, get a physician up here to see if he has any, uh, any concerns or any uh, questions. It, it's Dr. Muir. Dr. Muir, welcome. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, fellow Amherst College grad. Uh, good to talk to you. Um, go, go, uh, go now, mammoths, rather than Lord Jeff. Yeah. And uh, Howard, okay. Howard is also Amherst grad. So, <laughs> so I'm I'm a child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist here in New York City, and um, I actually did a whole podcast, uh, which I'm turning into a book uh, on the pandemic while it was happening. Um, and mm-hmm. one of my areas of interest uh, is the overlap between autoimmune conditions and, and psychiatric conditions. And I have psoriatic arthritis. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, uh, one of the things that you know, we need to be able to say out loud is medical interventions have risks. They have different risks for different people. Mm-hmm. I had my ass yep. kicked for six months after the vaccine. And I would still do it again. Uh, because, you know, at least, you know, at least for me with the data I had at the time, and I actually recorded the audio of me getting that shot and turned it into a podcast, um, mm. and the month leading up to it, right. We, we were dealing with a, a terrifying situation and we didn't have all the information 
And one of the things we're doing all the time is weighing risks and benefits and sometimes accepting mm-hmm. risk. Um, and, and for you know the recent work by Eric Topol on uh, the neuroinflammatory effects of the spike protein to me call into question, you know, how much risk are we exposing different cohorts to? And these are, of course, important questions to answer. And at the same time, we're always balancing risks and benefits. And we're always taking risks and sometimes significant risks. And if we don't acknowledge that, mm-hmm. that you know what, it, then that, and part of the problem with this whole thing, like I literally sourced a million masks for this, for hospitals in the city of New York with dollars from philanthropic funding. And I had hospital administrators turn them down because they weren't stamped can 95. And I have that on tape. I have hospital administrators saying, we don't want the liability of having real masks made in the same factory. They don't have the stamp. So we're going to let our nurses on the front line and doctors get COVID and die because they don't have a stamp and we don't want the liability. We'd rather have them cover their faces with things that we know are ineffective on their own instead of letting them have something, you know, officially provided. It's just, it was. Or how about just giving them the option to make the judgment for themselves? God forbid that physician and and nurse judgment uh, be the way, the the way forward. Yeah. And and that's, and that's weighing like in a, in a pandemic, right? There are no emergencies Um, because we need to have our health professionals stay alive and that means that so, we're accepting so risks Owen, for everyone. I'm, 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 <laughs> so thank you for bringing it up. Yeah. But let me let me interrupt you a second and, and just say, um, you bring up psoriatic arthritis and autoimmune disease and psychiatric pathology. And just read an article today about a woman with uh, cerebritis from chronic lupus and uh, got on some sort of uh, cytotoxic agent or something and came back from a, a fugue state. Just by she must have been, had a sort of a locked-in syndrome from the inflammation being at that level in the brain. I, I have this distinct feeling that a lot of the long, not all, but a lot of the long COVID and long vaccine injury is similar to head injuries, traumatic injury, like a global injury to the brain. This is a global vascular, I think. But do you agree with me that that the inflammation is in the vascular system, but it's still inflammatory and it's global and it's across the brain. And, and, and so I'm going to agree with that pretty strongly um, and and argue mm-hmm. that that's actually probably more often the case with psychiatric conditions anyway than we mm-hmm. recognize. Mm-hmm. So Chris Brown just wrote a book called, uh, called Brain Energy, which is remarkable at the role of mitochondria across these illnesses. Ketogenic diet is a potent intervention for epilepsy. We've accepted that for 100 years. Mm-hmm. It is likely to also yep. have a role in bipolar disorder. These are neuroinflammatory conditions until proven otherwise. And I use a lot of neuromodulation to treat that, but like these are part of our body, <laughs> right? The inflammation well, affects yeah, Oh the my body, God. Uh, yeah. Et cetera. So, of course. Yeah, we're just beginning yeah. to get to it. Listen, do me a favor, Susan, keep an eye out for this. Send an email to contact at drdrew.com, and I'm going to try to get you on a podcast to talk this in detail, okay? Would, would love that. Contact at drdrew.com, okay. and thanks so much for having me on. Yep. Okay, thanks. All right, buddy. Uh, anybody want to ring in on anything yet? Anybody of you guys' uh, thoughts? Drew, I think okay. Owen brings up some, we'll a, a really good uh, – Drew? Go ahead. Go ahead. I hear you. So um, I, I 
I think Owen brings up a really good, a couple of really good points. I want to just sort of highlight that it's everything is risk versus benefit, right? The problem is right now we don't know, we don't have any epidemiological data. We don't know the prevalence of these, you know, vaccine, this post-COVID or post-vaccine issues. Even this, the numbers between long COVID, we it's post-COVID, what is causing it. We don't really know what are the real true numbers. And I think that starts to, you know, when you don't have numbers, then you start to have nefarious players here that are mm-hmm. want to, you know, they take mm-hmm. a small thing and they say, look, millions are going to die of this vaccine. Clot, everyone's going right. to, what do they call it? The clot right. shot. And but the, the, the vast majority of people have done, they've done okay with the vaccine, with the COVID vaccine. I think that's very, very important to, in terms of the safety, at least these side effects. But there is clearly a certain group of patients that have had not just only like the, the common ones or the known ones, but the ones like Howard. And the, yeah. their voices are not being heard right now. And, and Dr. Yogendra, the, the pushback, I would I agree 100%. And that's, again, why I continue to use it in the elderly patient. The pushback is, and I and I was going to bring this up with uh, Dr. Muir too, because he he emphasized the deadliness of the illness. The reality is that was overstated for young people, drastically, grotesquely overstated. And so, on one hand, we're overstating the risk to people that are truly not at risk, and we're under maybe understating the risk of the therapeutics and the vaccine to that same population. That's what I'm concerned about. I I. I think, you know, I, maybe this is why I stopped calling Howard. I, I would have definitely recommended he get the vaccine at the time he got the vaccine. And I would have felt terrible about the vaccine reaction. I would have been confused because it was not really in the literature yet, that kind of thing, at that time, though I've seen it quite a bit since. And so it, it is, again, that the, the hysteria they caused around the illness and, and remind us, remind yourself, they continued it, it months and months into Omicron. Remember when Omicron showed up in South Africa and they they announced then that, uh, you know, here it comes, it's going to destroy the world and don't listen to those South African doctors who keep saying that it's mild? That went on for months and months and months. Oh, and oh, by the way, the vaccine that they were pushing extraordinarily hard at that time had little or no activity against Omicron. There was about a six-month period of overlap there. I do think that it did interrupt Alpha and Delta, and Alpha and Delta were nasty, nasty illnesses. I don't want to understate that they weren't nasty illnesses, and they did kill a lot of people, but we overstated and made hysterical the the risk to younger people, and that we did not, we're not allowed any conversation about the risks of the vaccine. I'm going to bring up uh, Stacy before I let you guys respond to my little comments there. Stacy, just unmute yourself and uh, have at it. Oh, hello. Bit. Hi, Dr. Thanks for having me on. Hi there. Thanks for having me on. Um, I I just Mm -hmm. had a point to make and then a question as well. Um, Just a a little bit about my history. I I do have a master's degree in a health-related field. And um, my son has gotten two kidney transplants. So he's he's now 18 years old and he's gotten all of his vaccines that were recommended. But uh, as they were developing this new vaccine platform, I'm I'm kind of a research geek. So I, I... wanted to look into it and see oh, which which one would be safe for him, et cetera, um, because I like to be informed. And um, I began to be a little skeptical as, as I was researching them in 2020, in the fall of 2020, about the mRNA platform, because 
I know my way around a study. I mean, I'm not, I don't have a doctorate or not a doctor, but I, I do have a master's degree and, you know, we learn how to read studies and do statistics and do all that. And what I was finding on the mRNA was, yeah. So I was getting concerned and I wasn't seeing um, much in by way of, you know, answers to my concerns. And then in February of 2021, um, I happened because it was on my radar, you know, I was scanning, I was searching and things. So maybe that's why I saw it. But I did see a letter that was sent to the um, the EU, uh, the the Emergency Medicines Agency president, um, Ursula von der Leyen. And uh, this letter was from 12 scientists. One of them was Dr. Mike Yeadon. And this letter uh, outlined the concerns that they had based on research that had already been conducted and what they had already found out. So in other words, these 12 doctors were following the science and they had an urgent letter saying, Hey, you know, all of these other studies about the MRNA and about the spike, um, about the damage to the endothelial and the uptake by the, by the, um, by the endothelial cells with the lipid nanoparticles, all of that had been studied even by Moderna, you know, in 2020 and 2019. And they were concerned that the results of those studies because they they did not see anything that had been resolved. And they wanted to know, hey, Mm -hmm. we saw these concerns with this platform and this method of delivery and the spike protein in these areas. What can, can you show us how those have been resolved uh, so that this vaccine is safe? And they did not receive a response. And so they went ahead and published their letter uh, online. I, I don't know. Did you ever see that letter or did, did any of the, the doctors? I, I didn't on? see that, but I've heard, cons- I've heard concerns like that, uh, obviously. And there's also concerns about uh, the batching of the mRNA vaccines, you know, the concentrations of various things and whether or not right. there's partial mRNA and uh, protein particles and things. There's all kinds of concerns that have just kind yeah. of gone unaddressed and it goes unaddressed under the general heading of millions of people have had this, everybody's fine. Yeah, generally, right. as, as Dr. Gendra said, yeah, 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 generally true, but not specifically true. And trying to make a decision for a you know 18 to 20 year old male with multiple kidney transplants, that's a that's a challenging decision to make. Some people may have no trouble with it. Many doctors might just go right with it. My thing is, what's wrong with Covaxin? Why haven't we approved Covaxin in this country? And and maybe it's that it really isn't specific to the dual agent yet, the the um, Omicron. But why aren't we allowing more traditional platforms? Uh, Dr. Gander, do you have any thoughts about that? I would probably say politics, but that's usually you know before COVID. I would I would mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that you know it seems like every sort of conspiracy theory or you know wild thoughts that people have. Uh, before uh, after COVID seems to all be coming true. So I'd probably say there's something finances or I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you, Drew, about... But there's no medical reason you wouldn't think they'd be giving a more traditional platform like COVAX, which they had kind of approved at one point and then didn't approve. And maybe it's something to do with Omicron. I'm not sure. But but again, let's, let's at least aim towards for these young males that really need vaccine therapies that have concerns. I mean, why not have options? Yeah. Well, he ended you up know, getting the, it. We all ended it. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. Finish up. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, we, uh, we ended up, I ended up just letting, you know, his, his kidney team at, at Stanford know that uh, we really wanted to wait for the risk benefit analysis for his age group and, and his, um, you know, solid organ transplant. 
plan. They were okay with that, um, you know, because the data wasn't really out well, that's yet. Good. And I was asking I, for data. I call that yeah. progress. We ended up, I call yeah, that we progress. ended up all getting it. We had, we all got COVID. We all got Delta. He sailed through it. He was sick. He had a fever for about an hour. And then uh, he got the monoclonal antibodies. They had him on that. Um, but now, you know, we've, we've all had it. We had it once back in October, you know, 2022. So I, I just tell you with all the pushback and then I'll, and then I'll end with this, but with all the pushback that I saw, the things that were not making sense to me, a mom who, who's not a doctor, uh, all the questions that I was not getting answered and the hyper push to cover all of those concerns up. In other words, I heard the wording, it is suggested as that is safe and effective. You know, when I see things in studies, you know, here's here's the concern. And at the end of the study, they say, but we still recommend you get it because it's, you know, the data suggests that it's safe and effective. Well, what data? You know, the, there's no data in there that yeah. says it's safe. But I, I did put all the references to yeah. the studies and the letter in the in the comments to this um, space. So uh, if you can go, you can go look oh, at all the the body of the letter at all of the studies that, again, all of the studies that had come out before any of the emergency use authorizations were issued. So why they didn't address any of those concerns and all of those things happened that were that, that they were concerned about um, makes me think that, hey, you know, I, I wasn't a conspiracy theorist before all this, but now now I I'm a I'm a truther. I just want to know. So thank you so much. All right. Good Stacey. for you. Thanks. Thanks, Stacey. I, Susan is convinced that moms are going to lead us out to the truth. Yes. She keeps saying the moms, the moms have to make the, you know, the, the women. The, we have uh, to use our instincts. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, I, I, again, I great comment. That. And let's see, look on the, it's, what's that? I, you know, on, on the conspiracy theory side, this was my first taste of this was, I, I think I said, six weeks after I got the shot, Science Magazine had, had an article. And that was the mm -hmm. first place that gave me some researchers to take a look at, to try to contact, see what was online. Uh, there's a group called uh, Real Not Rare. Is this, do you mm -hmm. know, the, the, so the, the vaccine injury? I've heard of this, yep. And, and yep. somewhere in this, the name React 19 came up. And I've heard the, them mentioned mm. actually on one of your podcasts, one of your podcasts with Dr. Victory, somebody mentioned them in passing. And so I typed React 19 into my Google search and I got, so React 19, R-E-A-C-T-1-9. And I get a message that says, there's no such website, but here are some others you might want to look at. And they're all pages from the CDC telling me how safe <laughs> the vaccines were. And I go on Yahoo, tried the same thing, same thing happens. Later through, maybe it was through, I didn't join I didn't join Real Not Rare because I'm not convinced this is not rare, right? And I, I didn't want to be part of overstating the commonness of this. But I did follow a lot of their links. Sure enough, they had a link to this React 19, which is just an organization of vaccine-injured people like me who happen to be doctors and researchers and scientists. And they're, we're just trying to find a place to pool information and such. And so this was the first time that I went, man, somebody's, somebody's trying to cover our eyes on this. And then the second one that came up quickly in our life was my wife has a friend who got uh, tinnitus as a result of the mm. vaccine, which I guess is common enough 
that Cedar Sinai yeah. here was doing a study on it. She was part of it. They had a Facebook group just of people who'd suffered tinnitus and and comparing remedies, comparing workarounds, you know, very benign. But anytime anybody would post with the word vaccine in it, Facebook would shut down the group. So they started talking yeah. in code. Yeah. And it's like, I've never been yeah. a conspiracy theory yeah. guy. And all of a sudden this comes up. And I think that's why when I saw in the Matt Taibbi reporting that this wasn't just over-enthusiastic um, big tech companies mm -hmm. trying to be good citizens, that this was actually programmatically encouraged by our health authorities. You know, mm -hmm. isn't like the first rule in, in, in a pandemic or in any health crisis is be honest. You know, when, when you encounter stuff like that, how does that make me somebody who has always been very trusting and believing in health authorities? Uh, you know, where does that put me for the next time around? Gosh, I, I almost feel like I need to uh, do a, an episode where I just sit and recap my feelings right now because I, I am so overwhelmed with various emotions when I hear you say that because I've learned so many things I didn't know about what's happening in this profession and in public health. And there's a whole story to be told here that uh, that very much zeroes in on what you're, what you're talking about here, Rom. I want to I, I want to share something with you and, and and the rest of your audience. And this is purely anecdotal. This is not a, a, someone that came in trying to work with us. I'm I'm on vacation. I'm not I'm, I'm not going to say where because I want to keep this person, uh, you know, completely anonymous. So I'm on I'm on vacation. I'm I'm doing a food tasting tour, and a couple of guys in the military happen to be on this tour. Ten ten dudes. And we start talking, you know, ask my background, what I do is, so, oh, you know, I do, you know, anesthesia and my, by trade, I'm doing some of this research on long COVID. And one of the guys pulls me aside and goes, hey, do you know anything about vaccine injuries? So I get a little startled because not really typically a conversation I have in public or with, with, with people in general. Um, and I, you know, I, I was a little bit puzzled, but he goes, well, I, I'm going to tell you my story. And, and so this is someone, he's in one of the top air pilots in the Air Force, um, highly trained guy, young, young guy. And he tells me that he, he ended up getting, I think it was the, after the Pfizer vaccine, he ended up getting myocarditis. Um, and eight, for 18 months, uh, 18 months now, he's, since he has the vaccine, he's got injury, he's got scarring in his heart. He just got cleared to fly. Um, but he was, he was saying initially when he got the vaccine, um, he started to, he started to experience chest pains, went to the, his uh, commanding officer, sent him over to the military hospital. Um, they did all the tests and they said, well, there's really nothing wrong with you. Sent him, sent him back. Now he said he was, you know, flying and still having some chest pains Said what he was doing, he was running on a track. He said he did one of, one of the, the, the things in his, his exact words is one of the stupidest things he did was try to like plow through it. So he was like running on a treadmill, running on a bike. He says one day. He, he experiences a, uh, a crushing uh, chest pain. So he run, gets on a treadmill trying to, you know, what's the last thing you want to do if you have a chest pain, but runs on a treadmill, um, tries to fight it off and realizes something bad's happening. Calls his commanding officer, says, me, I'll meet you in the, in the military hospital. Gets over there, does a, a battery of tests, and they're like, you've been having multiple heart attacks for the past, like, six months. So he's... You know, he's been on, uh, I, I forget what, what, what medications he was on, but 
So he starts telling me about his story and how he finally just got cleared to to fly, but he's got really bad scarring on his heart and he's worried about when he leaves the when he leaves the uh, when he leaves the military about his disability. Then he starts telling me that there are, are others in his squadron who also experience this. And then he tells me that he goes oh, on these military. Ram, I'm chat- going to interrupt you. We did a whole podcast with a military doctor who documented extraordinary frequency amongst flyers with this and was told to shut up. What was her name? Do you remember her name? Uh, maybe somebody can help was me on the Sasha? restream. Uh, but it we, No, Latipova. no, it wasn't Sasha oh, Latipova. I'll look it, it up. I'll find it. No, before that. She, she is a fine physician and had, had a, a whole sort of air force under her, under her supervision and started reporting this and was told to shut up. And she's not shutting up. And so this is a, not an uncommon phenomenon. Uh, and we don't know, you know how common or how uncommon or whatever. We just don't know because we're not allowed to even look at it. In her study, it looked rather common. I'm still looking. I'm watching you guys on the restream and see if you can tell Dr. Me Teresa was. Long. I, Teresa Long. That's who it was. Yes, Dr. Teresa Long. Thank you. Uh, you might look her up, Rom, or maybe talk to her. She'll call. She'll call you back and uh, hear her story. It, it's hair raising. It's hair raising. So this is not yeah, something it, we have it, not heard. It really is. Yeah, I mean, we're hearing it from from a lot of the military, and it's scary because you know these guys are putting their lives to defend us and. If something's wrong with them, we need to be, you know, we all, there's a lot of money going in. These are top pilots. There's millions of dollars going in. Right. You know, this one, this one pilot, he said they, they put in two, $3 million invested in him and they, they want him in top shape. So if we're having this issue, that's obviously very concerning. I, I feel like we could spin on this for a while and, uh, but I, I'm going to kind of wrap up. Is that you, are you want me to go on? What do you think? Uh, uh-huh. Okay, another call. How does Howard feel? How are you feeling? How are you hanging in? Your energy's good. You're feeling (laughs) all right about about this. I'm okay. I'm fine. (laughs) Okay. There's a lot of callers lined up. Really depressed, but you're getting really. I'm sorry to do that. that We got a lot of calls. We got to push through. No, it's important that we we feel this together. We need to manifest a better change for this. All right, so we'll kind of keep going here. I'm going to talk to Pablo. Oh, yeah, interesting. I have a lot of women calling in, which is sort of interesting that you said it's uh, this thing tends to affect women more than men. And Susan's very concerned about moms being affected. Yeah, the by moms this. are scared. Yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, Naomi Wolf has done more to scare people a little bit about that. <laughs> and again, I, I've seen, I don't know what to make of the data right now. It's because it, in, and there is also, you guys, there is an adulteration of the medical literature, the editorial process. Annals of Internal Medicine, I'm telling you, they have broken the ice. They've started publishing stuff that is finally counter-narrative. I've, I, it shocked me. It jumped out at me when I saw it. There was, it was a change two weeks ago. Change. And uh, we have RFK Jr. You know, you, you're talking. I, I hate the word conspiracy theory. So, I, I, But I, I don't know what's going on, but something's going on. And RFK Jr. thinks that it's corporate capture of government regulatory agencies. He also believed they've captured the medical literature, and he said his first thing he would do if he were ever elected president would be to call in the editors of the majors and say, "Look, this I'm going to I'm going to prosecute under a RICO Act if you don't do something about your editorial process." How would you like? You want to talk? No, no, no. I just I heard that I heard your interview with him. That's all. I'm just I don't know what to make of all We're that. Smiling. Totally. Thank you for listening. Yeah, after I'm me, especially you, after me guys, accusing I'm him glad of glad you're doing this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am it's, it's a great service and comfort that you're doing this. I have to say, it's brave too because okay. I know you're taking your hits for it. Yeah. All right, I'm trying to get uh, Nate up here. Uh, 
Yeah, I feel like the French underground. I've said that since Susan first set things, this thing up. I mean, like, we're like we're like in somebody's basement broadcasting, you know, with the current information, getting getting around the, you know, who was. I don't like to make those references even anymore. Nate, go ahead, unmute your mic and hear what you have to say. Oh, that's not happening. Uh, all right, I'm going to take him back down. You guys got to stay with me. You got to respond quick. Uh, I can't see what the name is here. Eat, eat, eat fish. <laughs> eat, pray, fish. Just really glad that the restream stayed up today. <laughs> yes, yes. We had all kinds of crazy stuff yesterday. Uh, yes, what can we do for you? I don't know your name. Eat, pray, fish. Yeah, it's you. <laughs> I just wanted to say, and I'm looking at it from the legal standpoint, but... Um, on the censorship, it, I've never seen anything in my life so bad. And I was a hardcore Democrat, had to switch parties to start fighting. And it, it was so bizarre that I, I worked at Reed Elsevier at one point, and they, they own Science, Science Direct, which you know is a top-tier yeah. publication. And... I posted an article from Science Direct that I actually had knowledge of who worked on it, what have you. I was banned for 30 days. And I actually went around and called. <laughs> I had to go through Instagram, but I called. And I said that um, I was a, I, I forget how I got through, but I got through somehow. Wait, my phone. We got you. We hear you. We hear you. It's okay, okay. I'm sorry. You're, you're in and out a little bit, but we basically okay, hear I'm, you. So keep going. Okay, one second. Well, now you're out. Okay, I'm okay. sorry. One second. Yeah, only. but I called. Um, oh, somebody was calling her. <laughs> got I it. Call, <laughs> okay. I called Meta and I got through to a person and I just laid it on to them. I'm like, my father, you know, fought in a war. Um, he quit his minor league base and I can't post about vitamin D at the same time. Facebook was rampant with child pornography and I'm not, you, you know, whatever it's in, it's in Del Delaware chancery court right now. The shareholders finally sued. Um, but nothing I report, I reported on guns, which is a federal offense. Nothing. I reported on child porn, nothing. But I was banned for Science Direct, vitamin D for 30 days. Um, I, I mean, I think that this is so beyond comprehensible that some people just can't even wrap their minds around it. I, I'm one I'm of those saying? people, like, my dear. What's, what is your name? What right. is your first name, if you don't mind? So I can. Uh, Mary Lee's. Mary Lee's. Mary, Mary Lee's. I, I, I'm one of those people. <laughs> I, and I think Howard, maybe Rom is too. I, I, I can't, I like, sh I, the whole three years I've been like, what is going on? You're just shaking my head constantly. And, and, uh, what and, you're and you telling, question if you told your me that sanity. Story, well, you, if you, you told me that story four sanity. years ago, four years ago, if you told me that story, I would have gone, oh, come on. Come, well, whatever. They probably had a reason. It was, I, 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 I would have just been very dismissive. I, I, I couldn't, it would no way would it have entered my consciousness as something 
that was being actively censored, and yet now I I know it's uh, it's it's grotesquely so, and and it why they grotesque. did it, and I still don't know the full story yet. I still don't know the full story. I really don't. Was it all just hysteria? Was it all, you know, uh, you know, you know, be I, you know, I because I lived through the opioid epidemic, and and right. was fighting that, and the regulators, and the VA, and the state agencies, and the Department of Mental Health. I was fighting it actively during the opioid epidemic, and I was censored and punished and one thing after another for 10 years for fighting against it <laughs> that that experience what they did then was line and verse what happened now and i can only describe exactly. it as evangelism you have scientists and physicians that become evangelical crusaders that believe they're wearing a white hat to save humanity that's how doctors do evil that's how we hurt people it's it's the word it's beware the physician with the white hat that is how we do harm i'm telling you i lived through it and once what they do is then they get under the skin of the regulators and all the tech companies and they go in there and they evangelize they create their own evangelical group within those organizations and now it is on it's a religion at that point and it has to be fought accordingly well and I, yeah. and one other right, thing so. i wanted to state is they did so many crazy things. I'm here in Ohio. I mean, I can't. They filled the skateboard parks with sand. They destroyed Listen, the sand. I, I was in the I was in the great state of California where we filled the skateboard oh, parks with sand. We 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 um soldered over. We we uh what's it called? We have a welding out. We welded the basketball court so you couldn't throw a basketball. <laughs> the environment where we should have been spending our time outside of the beach or the parks were forbidden. Exactly. Uh, just and, and and by the way, think of the average citizen. You worry what happened, you know, what happened to the Germans during World War II. It's like, think of the average citizen that became the 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 police force that was was arresting and the poor lifeguards that were going out into the water to pull people out to arrest them and find them for daring to run them foul of the thus saith the Lord from the public health community. Oh my God, we should never forget what happened here. It, it just, it's just, it's yeah. beyond. Yes, there was a horrible pandemic. Yes, there were th people dying. Yes, things needed to be done. But what we did was so excessive and so nonsensical and so outside of the, the basic principles of our government and who we are as a people and as scientists. We didn't do anything based on an objective reality. And that's how we became an evangelist and did harm to people. So thanks, Marilise. There was no uh, by debate. the way, Drew, while no calling while calling that the science. Yeah. Right. Right. That's right. The thing yeah, that was that's, that, the that's what's and anything and anything that anything that yeah, and anything that ran afoul of that was disinformation, non-scientific, when in fact science is about the back and forth. That's what science is. Uh, it's about getting getting to the truth through the back and forth of trying to understand this infinitely complex thing we call human biology. Well, you guys, I'm I'm actually running out of steam. My my, I, I was telling Susan during the break. I said, you know, I think I think how I got what Howard has from my. I got it from the virus, a little We're long COVID. Old. I'm not. I, well, that's what I think to myself. Maybe I'm just old, but I, I, I'm like 95. percent You know, I just I run out of steam in ways I didn't used to. And uh, we did get a super chat. So if you can, I don't know if you can answer this. What was the question? I didn't see it. Uh, from dia diaphanic one. Okay. Uh, we got four dollars and nine nine cents. Okay. Thank you. 
Any chance neuropathies from very high VGEF levels could okay, be mistakenly so diagnosed as MS? Question mark. Also, what are your thoughts on the VAC slash MS paper out on who? Uh, I was aware. I was aware there's an MS paper. I think uh, John Campbell did a podcast on it. I've not reviewed it yet. I will refer this one to Dr. Gendra. So, what is the probability? You got to understand, MS usually shows up on MRI pretty clearly, and so and and if it doesn't show up on MRI, there are characteristic patterns in the cerebral spinal fluid. It's well beyond just neuropathic changes in the periphery and VEGF elevation. But Ron, what do you say to that? No, I, I agree, um, Dr. Drew. You know, it's we we still can't disregard our principles of medicine and having to do a thorough history and physical and and getting all of the diagnostic tests. I will say this one, you know, along those lines on the post-vax, very interestingly, we're seeing a, a, a quite a bit of patients that, are, that have post-COVID that are actually having a reactivation of Epstein-Barr, reactivation of Borrelia mm. or, or Lyme, reactivation of Bartonella, Babesia, and we're seeing that with, with, with some of the vaccine patients too. They're coming in presenting as a, having a post-vaccine reaction in the past, I think, three months. We're picking up reactivation in the post-vaccine group of other pathogens that they were pre that they had no idea, but we can pick it up through our algorithm. So, still quite a lot of work to to do and, and to get a, an understanding of what's what's going on here. Rom, I'm going to let you go. I'm going to spend the last couple of minutes with my friend Howard. Uh, we appreciate the update. Where do people go if they have long haul symptoms? If they're concerned, where where can they find you? Uh, Covidlonghaulers.com. Um, get the the testing and, and a consultation with our group. Um, that's for long COVID, post vaccine, Lyme, MECFS. Uh, we've got in the next couple of weeks. We'll be making a couple of big announcements. Um, a lot of all our data is actually sitting with the FDA right now. Um, we should be actually be hearing back from them in the next week or two. So keeping fingers crossed, and we'll make announcements. Even on though, the even though they're they are they are quietly uh, censoring you from the editorial position, but I will just leave those thoughts to myself i suppose but I, I just as rom told me something earlier and i used the f word in a way that i don't usually use it and i thought this is so ridiculous but here we are so good luck with that rom we'll see you uh, again good good thank you for joining us and sharing your thoughts so good to see you good to see you as well You're that's welcome. good thank Love you, you. thanks so nice meeting you okay nice meeting you howard so you too and so howard here we are um I've, we've threatened to do this for a long time, and I appreciate you coming in and sharing your thoughts. Um, you know, I I don't like to be a hysteric in either direction. I like to try to be very measured about this, and I, I feel you kind of doing the same thing. And yet it's hard not to get kind of angry, you know, given, as you said, the silencing, the Matt Taibbi reporting, and the way people are har harming people, actively harming people for trying to get to the truth and not helping people who have been harmed and would like some help. To me, that's sort of unconscionable, even if it's not on a large scale. Unfortunately, some of this is on a large scale. I wonder if you have any kind of last thoughts. I, I love your, your writerly um, approach to thinking about, <laughs> thinking about these things. You know, I, I guess the last thing I, I, I want to say, I was thinking about this. What's the title of this episode? Because that's what got me thinking. It was something about. Uh, I don't know, Caleb. What did you say? I don't get the title. It, Caleb. What did you title it? Trust the silence. What he said. Oh, and the trust rest of the it silence. Was something huh? about the something about the vaccine injured. The vaccine and, injured tell their stories. And yeah. So this hmm. this may be 
this may feel like it cuts a little in the opposite of my anger and of the th- other things that I said. And maybe this is, this is that dose of common perspective that you and I both try and bring to this, which is I've, I, for, for until very recently, I never thought of myself as injured and I still don't talk about mm. it that way. I think mm-hmm. of this as getting sick. I think of this as an illness. I think of this as the world has gotten hit by this horrible pandemic. A lot of people have been hurt by it worse than I have, right? And mm-hmm. this, that, that I was just one more person sort of swept along with this. And I think that's, that's probably the, the bigger picture, you know, that, that at the margins, there are things which our authorities should have done better. And I don't feel like I was done well by by them and some specific doctors. I don't feel I was done well by um, because I think they got too swept up in the politics of all of it, too. Uh, You know, but but this has hurt a lot of people. And I'm I'm just kind of one of them. That's kind of the main the main thing, I think, when I think about it. If I can say if I can say something. Oh, Oh, go ahead. No, you first. uh, Caleb, go first. I think something that might have been missing a bit from this this episode were the stories of families who actually lost people because of the vaccine. The person I was I was most afraid of coming up today, which didn't appear in the spaces, was Answers for Sean, mm-hmm. who is the father of his 17-year-old son. He found his only son dead right after taking this vaccine. And every time he comes on the show and says anything, it's like it feels like you're putting a knife through my heart because I can't even imagine the pain that's in his voice. And I hear those stories over and over and over again. And that's what's really opened up my mind to like, I was totally fine. My wife was totally fine. Almost everyone I know has been totally fine with these mRNA shots, but that still doesn't balance out this the torture that some of these people are going through now when all a bunch of people just like me were saying, you know, oh, it didn't hurt me. It didn't hurt me. That doesn't mean that it's not hurting other people in these very devastating ways. Well, and if we could come up with some real numbers, like, okay, the probability of a Sean was one in 10 million or something. It's like, mm, if that's true, we probably probably wouldn't, you know, every medical intervention has nasty potential. Just, they all do, and some of them are catastrophic. A one in 10 million risk, okay. I mean, if it helps, uh, you know, a, a one in 1 million risk of a serious outcome from the vac- from the illness, Right now, the the math is there, I, but if I it's think one the, in ten thousand, right, then it's a whole different story. You know, I think the thing is, is that people were not told that math. We were just told safe and effective. We weren't told well one. Even if they said right. one in every five hundred thousand are going to have these side effects, all, all of us would have felt they're at least being more honest with us. But now, this way, it Correct. seems like these parents they feel like they were totally lied to. They did what they were supposed Caleb, to do. And now they've lost. That's right. And Caleb, you're, you're absolutely right. I'm, I'm looking at the Twitter space to see all those 100s coming up, what you just said. Yeah, yeah. And Howard said it a, a while ago. He, he said the, the fund, one of the first jobs of public health, in our humble opinion, is be honest. Give us the truth. Don't, don't tell us to shelter in place and hide under the bed. And exactly. then lead us, then lead us with, with a whole bunch of BS. Susan. I also think, okay, so the whole accountability by the government, like what about people who are disabled and they don't get any respect for that? For the fact their well, lives are ruined, they can't well, so afford you heard, to work. Right. And I don't see Howard as being the kind of person that would like no, no, but listen, want a disability check or something. They're no, blaming the victim. That's what the government's afraid of. That, but no, that's what the government's afraid they of. They should and I, be responsible for and, that. And I get that's what they're afraid of. 
and yet they cannot be so willfully ignorant to what's going on here. So, so there's got to be. I mean, a, if that's the reason why they're not sort of talking about it, is because they don't want to be accountable. Like, they don't want to pay. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> there's pieces missing still. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I, it gives me the willies too. Yeah, I don't, I don't yeah. like to think that way. But I, I, I st still think most people generally are well-meaning. They were trying to do the right thing. They just got swept up either in hysteria or evangelism, and that makes people do the wrong thing. And so I, I, I still there's still pieces missing. There's still stuff I need to know. And I've learned a lot by talking to all the silenced folks. I, I really have learned a ton. I still say the, the poster child is Jay Bhattacharya. We should get back in here. It's been long enough that we should get him back. He is the poster child yeah. for a consummate yeah. professional, a, a teacher, a, a professor being Stanford grotesquely sidelined and harmed by the by the government by and the government agents. And that that's just... It's it's not not okay. All right. Well, but listen. at least now he's able to speak freely with it. He's he's yeah, back. Yeah, freely. Like we're. Able I mean, to we speak talked freely. to him at the very beginning but, of the pandemic, and we were like, "What?" And then he just got silenced, and that was well, crazy. And, and look, hear me and Howard saying we're going to be America's most hated. You know, it's <laughs> you know, it's it's we're just having a conversation, <laughs> and it scares us. Welcome to the club. Yeah, it's just it's just this weird world Thank we live you. in. I, I mean, think about. It. Imagine when we first started meeting there in Hollywood near CNN, even trying to imagine this moment. We couldn't yeah, have imagined it. Not at all. Right? Not at all. What would your dad say? All. What would your dad say? Bad oh, enough that you studied man. English in college. What would he say about all yeah, this? Right. <laughs> I think about that all the time. Thanks for having me on, Drew. Yeah. All right, man. Great to see you. Say hi to everybody for us, and uh, I'll talk to you soon, okay? okay. All right. Take care. All right. And God uh, bless. for the rest of you, great calls. I'm sorry I couldn't get to everybody in Twitter spaces. You did a great job. Thank you for participating with us. We are, let's put we up the no upcoming shows. We have no glitches today. Thank we you, have, Caleb. We, we love have, you. We uh, have Tuesday, uh, let's see, today's Thursday, right? So Tuesday, there we are. Uh, got Michelle Bachman and Brian O'Shea. Susan's very excited about this, uh, June whoop, 7th. Whoop. And you know Brian O'Shea is Naomi Wolf's husband. Correct. So if anybody and wants he, uh, to gets Susan, know that, uh, gets Susan uh, as a, like a cat on the hot tin roof every time I he comes in I want to get the both of them on, too. I see Mohatra, cardiologist with Kelly Victory next Wednesday. And the following Wednesday, Tom Renz comes back with Kelly Victory. And he was the attorney who told us that the... Uh, he hinted that the Equal Health Alliance may be a counter-espionage action. And that's why they funded the... Uh, gain of function which is an interesting thing it's the only thing that makes sense for me so i, I when things make sense i sort of well, think they probably are so so uh, until then we will see you at three o'clock tuesday uh pacific time see you then ta-ta ask dr drew is produced by caleb nation and susan pinsky as a reminder the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care diagnosis or treatment this show is intended for educational and informational purposes only I am a licensed physician, but I am not a replacement for your personal doctor and I am not practicing medicine here. Always remember that our understanding of medicine and science is constantly evolving. Though my opinion is based on the information that is available to me today, some of the contents of this show could be outdated in the future. Be sure to check with trusted resources in case any of the information has been updated since this was published. If you or someone you know is in immediate danger, don't call me, call 911. If you're feeling hopeless or suicidal, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. You can find more of my recommended organizations and helpful resources at drdrew.com help.